Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. You can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We are wherever you get yours at. You'll find us at that same username at Radio Islam USA. And you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Imam Tariq Elamin. Now, this episode is sponsored by Recycle Processes. I'm going to start out by telling you that this is part two of a conversation I had with Marguerite Aziza, the executive director and co-founder of Muslim Arc, Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative, and New York senior trainer for Muslim Arc, Layla Abdul-Pulos, who many of you already know as the author of My Way to You, the founder of NBA Muslims, and as a longtime Radio Islam culture contributor. So if you haven't already listened to part one, don't worry. You don't have to stop and go back. The two parts stand on their own. Just be sure to check out part one. In part two, we talk about Muslim representation, uh, specifically Representative Ilhan Omar and Representative Rashida Tlaib. And what does their presence mean for Muslim women and for the Muslim community? How are we responding to that? Um, and a whole lot more. So here we go. This is a, I would say, a unique time, right? And I say that also understanding that I think every generation says the same thing, that this is a unique time. This mm-hmm. is an interesting time, right? <laughs> um, but it is. We happen to be in that cycle of, of interesting things happening, of challenging things happening. And for Muslims right now, where we have, um, we have such a, we've been given a representation, a, tar- a target right now. I shouldn't say we, but those who want to paint Islam as foreign, as, as dangerous, as un-American, uh, they now have a, a target in uh, Representative uh, uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, particularly these two of the, of the squad, you know, mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> and Ayanna Presley, along the other two rounding it out. What are your thoughts now on what it means to have the representation of that otherness of Islam taking taking form in these two Muslim women. Woman, one uh, who wears the, the hijab and the other uh, who doesn't, right? But, and I think, I think for me, that is a, you kind of see the whole spectrum uh, right there in, in this representation. But but what does that mean for you right now? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Obviously, it's, it is that was a historic moment, and and I'm just very proud of these women for taking the courage, right, to do that. I mean, we feel a lot of heat. I mean, they're experiencing a lot of heat, and and with the kind of civil discourses, when you have um, the head of state targeting them, that actually puts us more at danger, right? I mean, this is um, it is a frightening time um, that. Uh, people are saying like if we can't critique the policies and it's ironic because no one was telling like when militia people in the Tea Party didn't like Obama like nobody was telling them then go back where you came from Europe or when something they were talking like, about secession yeah I mean you know people doing like the the Dixie flag which was like traitors you know like and nobody's saying like go back where where you came from you don't want to be part of the Union like 
the union's gonna stay, you gotta go. Like, the, that's not the type of discourse, but when you're a person of color, I mean, I was told to go back to Africa since I was a child, like, and that, that's even before, like, there was a growth of, like, you know, like, an African immigrant, like, it was, like, assumed, you know, obviously I have, like, African ancestry, so there's, like, go back to Africa. And um, I wasn't going anywhere, but that's, that, the assumption is like America's for white people. Mm-hmm. Like I always knew that as, as a child, that that's, that was the script that, that they played and that they're projecting that on these women who want to make this country better and want to address, I mean, the, the, the pictures on our border, it's awful, yeah. you know? I mean, it's shameful that, you know, we've reduced, um, uh, refugees, like they're trying to get that to zero where no refugees would be accepted into this country and yeah. um, where you have indigenous people who are fighting, you know, like going in for asylum. They're doing everything right and then they're being put in cages. Like that's shameful. And when they're calling that out and then you have people saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with just saying go back where they came from, that it's, it's very um, jarring and um, you know, and then you have people who are still talking about being nice on both sides, but I'm like, where's the civility with these folks? Yeah. You know, and so um, for me, I, I think that this is a time to where you see um, people showing themselves for who they are, and um, and I appreciate that. Yeah, because we yeah we, <laughs> I we think, got our work cut out for our, us. Yeah. I think that uh, one of the things that. Uh, Rashida and Elhan, particularly Elhan, has meant for me, okay, is that the awesomeness of seeing all those intersections come into play and see how it is that you can be targeted across those intersections, okay? So, first of all, I think that our current commander-in-chief is careless and reckless with his speech and I liken the stuff because he's particularly targeted her like he went after the four Mm -hmm. and now he's driving in on her because um, I I likened it to Henry II and Thomas Beckett okay so King Henry II he was he was uh, irritated with this um, Bishop of Canterbury Okay, who wielded a lot of religious power at the time, Thomas Beckett. And so he said, will someone not rid me of this obstinate priest? That's all he said. He didn't sign anything. He didn't put out any warrants for his death or anything like that. Four knights went and they killed him. They just went on their own and they killed them. And he let them off. The knights didn't get punished or anything like that. And we know that a lot of of Donald Trump's base is known for violence. They've run people over and killed them. They've done all kinds of things. So for him to say anything along the lines that he's been saying and targeting her in particular, all he did was just make a big, huge target on her if it wasn't dangerous enough for her as it is. So that is one thing. But the deafening silence Mm -hmm. of Democrats okay who know this has been like amazing to me not surprising but amazing to me so you have someone like her 
who she's going to say what she's going to say, mm-hmm. okay? And she's criticized everybody because that's what black women tend to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is wrong over here. This is wrong because you're at these intersections and you're looking at everything that's wrong and you know that unless everything is addressed, not much is going to change. So she's going after everyone. She's, she's shedding a lens on everything that's wrong, okay? She can walk and chew gum. Okay, and people are bothered by that, and so now you see, like when first when Nancy Pelosi went after her, it was the Black Congressional Caucus that backed her up. Okay, so you have this person that at all these different social intersections being targeted by these social intersections, but she also has this social capital, and I think that's the threatening thing about all four of these women all four of these women of color. And that's the threatening thing about women of color because it's four women of color, and that's profound. And Rashida's base, too. I mean, her work in Detroit is definitely tied yep. deeply with the black community. Yes. Yep. And so she's in a strong space because of the alliances and those connections. And so, I mean, Honestly, like I think that they're also representing the promise of this country, yep. um, of some directions going forward. And, um, you know, I mean, I definitely would like to see more support in yeah. our community. I've, yeah. I mean, I'm not privy to all the conversations happening, but I am wondering, um, are the Muslim brothers stepping up? I, mean, I know they had like criticisms about Ilhan dancing, but I haven't seen some yeah. of the same people well, saying, like, I got saying you, a who, word. who's our security yeah. detail? We yeah, got you. Exactly. We will fund for that. And so, and, I, and I've seen that, like, time and time again, I mean, us being visibly visible as Muslim women, as someone, like, I mean, I've been, like, verbally accosted in the time, and it's and not getting the same type of level of support. It's kind of like, oh, okay, that just kind of, well, stay at home, you need a mahram, but, like, no one's going to be my, you know, like, it was things like that. So it's, my concern is that um, as a community, um, we have to step up more and and show solidarity whether we agree or not but to be like we have your back and not just from the justice but even like from our duas like i want one yeah. pronounced like are we we should do a khatam to make sure that there's some protections for her because that sends very powerful signals to our young women i have a seven-year-old she's going on eight and she's going to be looking at this time yeah. Right? Like, what, what type of person can she be in this society, in this world? And I want to be able to show her you could be anything and you could be powerful, and this community will love and celebrate you. And I think that that's very, it's going to be very important as, as people of faith that we show, we show more support to our sisters who are representing, representing us. Um, and so that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure that that's how people are thinking about it, but. We need to go beyond talking about it and doing more. Like shaking your head. I, I don't. Yeah. You, well, you know, <laughs> I think that you know one of the things that I've been in my work uh, when it comes to uh, gender justice advocacy in Muslim communities, especially, is that you know Muslim men are talking badly about Ilhan Omar because she was initially. A symbol. It's very, very easy. We we love as Muslim as as Muslims and particularly Muslim men to prop up and politicize covered Muslim women. 
Yeah. Okay, look at this, look at that. Oh, look, wait, she won. Okay, oh, wait a second. What, what did she say? What is she talking about? Wh- who is she criticizing? Oh, wait a minute, she got a mind of her own? Hold on, wait. And then all of the, the bad chatter starts to come mm-hmm. about. Okay, because at the end of the day, she is a black Muslim woman. And she's going to do what she's going to do. She's more than just a symbol and uh, 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 to be propped up. Okay, and she's shown that from the time she got sworn in since Mm -hmm. she's shown that and that's very very threatening for a lot of Muslim men and for two reasons because first of all they're not doing it okay they're not leading they're not leading and they're not protecting overall they're not thinking about that so when they see that reminder then they start to uh, uh, internalize that 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 little self-esteem for lack of a better term and so then they start to go after that person in a different way. So I don't think they're going to go out there. They're going to protect I'll push back on that. Okay. And I'll I'll offer this. That I don't think it's necessarily just about how she makes them feel about themselves. Okay. It is more so a reflection of this minority. We have 1% of the population, right? It's more a reflection of a particular culture that that some want to see stay intact a male dominant uh, culture is not necessary so it doesn't matter that you have somebody that's gone into uh, public service they've been elected not to extol America about how great she is but to point out those areas where we can improve as Mm -hmm. a nation and that's their job and that's exactly what she's doing and and, and all those of of conscience you know are are, are doing Mm -hmm. um but I think for Muslim men, some Muslim men, it's about maintaining the status quo, right? Because if there was not a need for, um, just think about this, like the work that uh, Hin Mackey does, right, mm-hmm. with side entrance. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a community where a, an effort like that is needed, right, can exist, at, while at the same time, we uh, go out and we talk about Islamophobia in general. Mm-hmm. So it's still this exclusionary mm-hmm. Protest and it's it's uh, it's, it's not a hundred percent principled uh, posture that's being taken. It's 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 bits and pieces, yeah. right? It's a little bit here, a little bit there. So I don't think that they necessarily feel bad about themselves or feel like she's doing something that they could be doing. I think it's really much more about keeping that that space that they're in mm-hmm. unaltered. Well, I agree with that, but I want to, like, offer something in addition to that. Yeah, yeah, And that is that, ideally, leadership, okay, and being in that position of authority comes with responsibilities. Sure. Okay? And um, it takes certain personality traits to uh, be able to do that effectively. Mm -hmm. So, in order to be effective leaders of communities and families, you know, there are certain expectations for Muslim men. And by and large, in the United States, a lot of Muslim men do not demonstrate that at all. They're not good providers. They're not good protectors. They're not good maintainers. And so all they have at the end of the day... Excuse me. Okay. Ouch. <laughs> all that they have... I said, I said, I said, by and large, I didn't say all. No, not all Muslim men. Okay. Ahead, that, that's just, you know, I know it's about the listening. He's like... Huh? Okay, go ahead. Okay, well, well, they're not, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we hear it all the time. 
okay, Muslim women discuss it um, with each other. And we know because it's not safe for us. We already know when we go out this door that it's generally not safe for us, okay? And so it's like the only thing that you do have, a lot of them do have, is that kind of uh, uh, dictatorial possession over small spaces like the mosque. That's, okay, that's okay. That's so that that's why I'm saying like I, I'm I'm offering something to add yeah, to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So when you have so when you have that and you're that's a delusion, but that's a delusion. Yeah. Okay. I, could, I would add. I mean, well, this is you know like. A lot of these men who are being mar- like they're marginalized be- because of society. Yeah. It's not their fault. But when you have like oppressed people, when you have oppressed men, then it becomes, you know, there's they're looking for spaces where they could feel empowered. So they have their affinity groups that they may do that. So the mosque and defining what Islam is, and so there are these kind of or even in the home of like maintaining kind of authoritarian structures in the home, authoritarian structures in the masjid boards where they're just like, no, even if sisters have great contributions on committees, great things like there's that, that exclusion. And then finding kind of targets of blame is also, that's a factor. And so at the end of the day, the kind of marginalization of most Muslim men has to do with white supremacy. So I'm just like, that's all my only caveat okay. to that. All right, <laughs> I understand that. But what I'm saying yeah. is that here is a, a, a Muslim woman, mm-hmm. okay, on the national stage, yeah. standing and doing things in ways that they, that be, let's say because they're marginalized, mm-hmm. that they're not able to do, okay? And you can internalize that. And one of the ways that you can see it internalized is the rhetoric that comes from Muslim men about her, some Muslim men about her. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's why I think yeah. that, you know, that protection that's needed for her, okay, because she's very much in jeopardy, is not coming to, not presenting itself yet, you know. Hopefully it will. <laughs> yeah, uh, there because, could be somebody. Well, you can have marginalized. I mean, we have the example of uh, the black Muslim movement where marginalized groups of men protected their women, and they, and they set up a cultural message that you don't touch our women, period. We protect our women. You know I'm going to build on the so the work of Muslim Ark. It is not totally dependent upon Muslims to advocate for Muslims, right? It is, and it's following this model of coalition building, mm-hmm. right? Of, of enlisting allies that understand the problem, that are willing to address the problem in their spaces, their their uh, spheres of influence, right? I think this is also one of those opportunities. I'm not, I'm not saying that Muslim men should not be front and center. We should be, right? Uh, and whether that's, you know, uh, you know, showing up, whatever capacity, whatever way it is for you to show up, uh, that should take place. But it's also an opportunity for that same type of coalition building when, it talk, when we're talking about, we can't talk about the safety of women in general mm-hmm. and leave Muslim women out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we're having this conversation, this is now a point where we need to be talking about let her, let your hand be the, the face of that, um, of that consciousness across the board. It's, it's definitely our, our sisters, uh, both of you are, are in hijab. Um, you are the representation for Islam, you know, in America. I mean, wherever you go, as a matter of fact, you're identified as Muslim, right? 
I'm walking down the street right now, I don't have a koofy, I don't have my fez on. Nobody's going to necessarily look at me. They might see the little prayer mark, maybe. They don't know what that <laughs> is, right? <laughs> so um, there is an appreciation and respect for that leadership because the leadership that you're talking about, it's not, I'm not, I'm not a leader in every single facet of life. I may lead the prayer, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, this a lot didn't make us as one-stop shops, right? So that's that's the whole benefit of having community. I think if we can recognize her leadership, mm-hmm. um, that to me is not just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't end right there. It's also something that can, uh, I think, be um, applied in, in all these other spaces, right? The, your, your leadership, uh, Marguerite, right? Your leadership, Layla, and, and what you, what you're doing. Um, can I add that? I mean, there, for example, I mean, there's like dismissive things that people say. You have poli- like these are politicians. If you had their comparable in some of these countries, they would say like, "Oh, this is cabinet member so and so." When you have Muslim clergy imams calling them activists, you're talking about like they calling don't even representative? get representative. Yeah, calling their rep- yeah, rep- dear activists. They're not activists. They're politicians. There's representative person they're not even given the honorifics yeah. that they deserve yep. and that's that's a problem so so what I would like to see at least is some respect for who they are and yeah. what they contribute and not dismiss it and just make these blanket statements about mm-hmm. who they are and what they represent I mean they represent their constituencies yeah. and those are constituencies of very diverse backgrounds who don't all like we don't all like morally like, I mean, I don't eat pork or drink, but I, I still have to show love and love on my family that do things that I yeah. that are forbidden sure. for me. And so sometimes you have people that want to both police them and then they'd be they're very um, dismissive yeah. around their contributions and they would not be the same. They do not use the same language towards um, Representative Keith Ellison, Representative uh, Andre Carson, like they didn't use that type of language and they didn't have the targeted attacks against them. Is this from Muslims, you're saying? From Muslims. Well, I think it's because the ramifications are very, very specific. The ramifications are specific. When you're talking about language, you know, um, without going too deep, you have signs, languages are signs, and you have a signifier. You have someone that that gives significance to that sign. And depending on what on who that sign is placed on, there are going to be ramifications from, mm-hmm. for it. So, like the word angry, okay, mm-hmm. for me as a black woman, being called angry is very different than if a white male is called angry. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's dismissive. So, yeah, it, it, it feeds into a stereotype. So, yeah. it's just like we try. I, I know one of the things that happens in this country a lot is the is is the playing with semantics and language and trying to act like language itself is objective and linear when it's not okay depending on who it is you're addressing with those specific words those ramifications are different okay i was i was once called uh so i was once told on twitter let's not get into hysterionics all right the word hysteria okay is definitely has certain ramifications when it comes to women. 
So when you use that word on And I read her tweets. Your tweets sounded calm. Like you were just using big words. You were everything. I was just like, she's not yelling. These folks have exclamation marks and all this stuff. She's being history. But there's nothing. That's why I wear my angry black woman on my chest. Because no matter how I say it, that's all they're going to see anyway. So, but as a woman, to have that word, which actually comes from hysteria, which means the disease of the womb. Okay, so women acted a certain way because their womb was diseased. And so to use that word on me as opposed to a male, let's say, for instance, has definite ramifications. And I've never seen them use that word yeah. on men. Well, yeah, I've had language used on me that I've never seen used on men. Like the same, like I'm like, when you got in an argument, I'm like, yeah. like a disagreement, well, because, but there's gendered language to yeah. dismiss what I've had to say. Um you know, so there is like there's gendered racism, there's gendered Islamophobia. Um, Ilhan, uh, Representative Ilhan Omar experiences both. And what I do, what I would like, I mean, this is like a kind of challenge, an invitation for us to examine our biases, yeah. our gendered biases, our race, racial biases, whether it's internalized, like with Muslim women, like, yeah, I can, I've internalized sexism, I've internalized racism, I've internalized Islamophobia, and I need to confront that mm-hmm. as I look in, in, out into the world and think about who I support. Now, for, for example, like very rarely would you see people question the Islam of a Muslim man who's Adab, let alone public or private sins, like no one's questioning their Islam, even if they've committed sinful acts. But yet, a Muslim woman, uh, like who is clearly embedded in a Muslim community, both of their Islam, there's people that are online saying that they're not really Muslim, questioning their Islam, like that. And and I'm wondering, like, how do we challenge that discourse? That's the kind of like. So I think the protection is from both the kind of psychological violence in our community, which would make people say like, oh, I, I, if I stand up for them, then that's making me not seem as Muslim as I should be. Right. But also like as, you know, like for a, as a public statement of solidarity is like, look, whatever our disagreements, we're a family yeah. and we love our people. Like we may not agree with everything that they, but, but if you come for them, Right. You come for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm inviting everyone to do. Like, examine the biases that keeps us from stepping up into providing, like, we can question and we could critique. Like, that's that's our job. Um, but that doesn't, when it when our silence, or yeah. apl- like, and then attacking them is, is wrapped up in piety, that's my concern. And yeah. so, I, I mean, I, what I, while I feel that what they represent are some very powerful things for for people, there's also some of the, the discourses around that within Muslim communities mm-hmm. that trouble me. And then obviously with, with those who, who hate us, who don't want to see us here. They don't want to see black people here in America. And they don't want to see Muslims. And they definitely don't want to see black Muslims yeah. here. What, and I, I don't get, what I don't get is why some of this criticism is actually even given the attention that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or the weight that it's given. That's the first thing. The, the second is, because so much of our social interaction now is on social media, yeah. it does become, um, you know, those saying, a, a lie travels however much faster mm-hmm. than, a, you know, than the truth, right? Uh, and, and that can definitely, you know, uh, manifest itself on social media. So, yeah, it is important to have people who are willing to respond 
uh, quickly to try to nip things in the bud um, and show support. But what I really want to bring out uh, in this is when it comes to the um, maybe the lack of, 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 of visible support from Muslims, I think they are also, how you, you mentioned, uh, like trying to use these this gender uh, chauvinistic language, you know, uh, histrionic, you know, saying you mean histrionic. Um, Muslims, as well as black people in general, but Muslims probably more so, have internalized this idea that they can't be, they cannot be seen as combative. Mm -hmm. They cannot be seen as, uh, as, as angry. They cannot be seen like, I mean, how many Muslim gun clubs do you hear about? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, that's a sec, that's, that's, that's a right. Right, yeah. Second Amendment right, mm -hmm. but Muslims, in particular, I would say our immigrant brothers and sisters, right? Whether they're second, third, fourth generation doesn't matter. A lot of them have the uh, they've internalized these 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 structures that have been placed on them, and maybe, right? I'm not sure because I don't I don't share this this thought process, but maybe some of them are just like, well, you know, we don't want to kick no waves up, and they're rock doing the it. Boat. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to rock the boat. And they're they're doing doing it behind this uh, this this you know facade of of of, 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 of piety and all yeah. that. But the mm -hmm. real thing is fear, right? It's really fear. And if you're not willing to, right? This that language right here. But this is this is American language. If you're not willing to die for your freedom, mm -hmm. for your liberty, mm -hmm. then you 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 ain't worth having it. Well, I think that um, a lot of, and again, that's not, like you said, that's not my cultural mindset either. So I'm just really on the outside looking in. So I'm just really looking at the things that I've seen and the things that I've heard. So and drawing conclusions based on that. Yeah. And so someone from inside the culture who has a, a, a knowledge base about how the racial structures of this country works would be a better person to talk to about it. But it seems like... Um, not only don't is it not we don't want to rock the boat because when you think about like we use that adab and piety you know sometimes piety is doing just that is rocking the boat it's walking up to pharaoh with your staff and saying let my people go you know it's telling the meccans no we're not going to do it that way we're going to do it this way okay it's it's establishing uh, 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 platforms and, 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 and city-states and, and, and all of this stuff uh, and all of that's rocking the boat. The prophets, that's what they did. They rocked the boat. So to try to say that that's that someone that is doing that is automatically by default impious is impugning the traditions of the way the prophets of Islam the, all the prophets interacted with people. Okay? Yeah. So but it's, I think that it seems like there's just this undying hope that if we behave a certain way, then the dominant society will accept us and like us. Now, Native peoples will tell you that that's not the case. African Americans will tell you that's not the case. Afro-Caribbeans, Afro-Latinos that have been here will tell you that that's not the case. But there seems to be in 
a lot of Muslim subcultures this idea that that there's just this one line underline. Even Asians will tell you that's not the case. <laughs> can, I, can I throw something out here? And, and I don't want to hold y'all all day, <laughs> but you mentioned something earlier, or I think maybe if you didn't mention it outright, it's kind of alluded to. Um, the proximity to whiteness as a you know, as, as a, a doorway into privilege, mm-hmm. right? Safety and opportunity and all that. So these were things that were by and large enjoyed by um, many who appeared, whether they were Muslim or not, if they had if they had the phenotypical, you know, appearance of being Muslim. Um, but they were able to kind of slide on in um, prior to 9-11, mm-hmm. right? And after that, that became a marker. Right. If you're a Muslim, you look Middle Eastern, South Asian, whatever. If you dress a particular way, um, and not to mention, you know, uh, any sister wearing hijab, then now you became a, a target. Became a, 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 you know, you were the object of America's uh, ire. Right. Mm-hmm. So, in some people's minds, they see, maybe they see their their silence as a possible opportunity for them to get their card back. They yeah, see, so they're, I, they're thinking more about yeah. the possibility of reassimilating, you know. Yeah. Well, that's where, where the fight, so so the, that's where, like, the critical anti-Islamophobia approach, which is, you know, really kind of even addressing some of that, where, I mean, we know, like, before, like, to become a citizen in the United States, like, before, um, you had to be white and Christian. So you couldn't be Muslim, and you know so and we know like that the first sort of immigrants from the levant like they sued to get whiteness but everybody did like the japanese americans because they couldn't even own land in california the punjabi farmers couldn't own land and they both like japanese american um south asians like they sued to to try to get some status like to get citizenship to be able to marry who they wanted and they couldn't and then the you know the courts dismissed that and so they like the land that was taken from Japanese Americans even before the internment it was just constant displacement and it still impacts like those like third fourth generation Japanese Americans similarly with the Punjabi farmers in California Um, with Arab Americans they were able to kind of win that right and it was later with the Muslim American, like the Muslim Arab Americans were like, wait, we're not benefiting from this white privilege that you say, but there still are like a kind of split, right, between that where you have, um, you know, there was increasing attention, especially for South Asians who were, had a sort of model minority mm-hmm. kind of narrative. And so, and that is, there are certain scripts that they, that were shoved down their throat, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, if you're gonna come here, do not make waves. Right. You know, Let's because the level of violence, the level, and like, do not, you know, and it's very different, like I think in like, in what I'm very interested in, in the UK, where they talk about political blackness. And so the kind of ways that people constructed, saw their, their struggle as ultimately linked up with blackness. And then in America, is like for you to be part of the American society, it's like you, like they really, aspire to um even if they wanted to be distinct in their cultural identity and their enclaves they still followed patterns of like white flight contributed at times to redlining mm-hmm. um and but if you look at some of the things within the civil rights language 
they'll um, I've I've seen Muslim Americans look to the Jewish American community that did eventually win whiteness because Jews were not constructed as white, mm -hmm. but they're aspiring to towards that. Mm -hmm. um, they're also when they talk about the rights language, they're also aspiring. Like and I've seen this, and we just have to name it. Where I've seen Muslim Americans aspire to the kind of political acceptance that white homosexual males have gotten mm -hmm. in changing things, not mm -hmm. towards like queer people of color, but just this this model of like of that, like for like the Marriage Equality Act is like this one singular, and they're like, if they got that, we should be able to do that. And I see them deploy those things, and both of those are really about the kind of acceptance amongst like white people would be like, okay, yeah. you're one of us. Mm -hmm. right. And and it's not like that racial bargain bargaining to get up on the totem pole, it doesn't benefit anyone. It puts people at risk. Yeah. And we've seen it time and time again. Like my undergraduate thesis was on Bosnian Muslim nationalism, where Bosnian Muslims were put at a certain in a certain as they were a minority, but they were put at a protected, st a special status, given certain privileges, gained, had a lot of resentment. It set them up for some really terrible, like atrocities, because it was, you Think know, Rwanda. Yeah. Tutsi and Hutu. Yeah, and yeah. so it's very, it's a dangerous position to be in. But the safest, safest position, what we should aspire towards, is a multicultural, multi-faith, pluralistic society where people yeah. challenge the myths. Challenge the myths of capitalism. Challenge the myths of, of like there's not enough. There is enough for everybody. No one owns this land. Centering indigenous rights, of um, you know, like of really centering the most marginalized, yeah. of um, that we don't have to be in competition. Mm -hmm. That um, you know, just there's so many things that we can really challenge to make our world better. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're given this whole like these scripts that yeah. reproduce harm mm -hmm. on other communities and and it's temporary and it's individual that's the thing mm -hmm. is that it's not something that's going to be massive because if it were that it would be too much of a threat to the white supremacist structure and it's not something that's going to be generational okay and be just because you've one of the things that the white society, broader white society, and members of it are very, very good at are, com are, are making buffer communities yeah. away from blackness, the, to juxtapose them against blackness with the delusion, well, you're not like them, you're something different. Knowing very well that at the drop of a hat at a 9-11 or anything like that, they will push them back over to that margin whenever they want yeah. to. But also on an individual level, they will, members will ins use their whiteness to insulate select people mm -hmm. from marginalized groups, okay? And feed this delusion that somehow that, that means that they're fighting the, the broader structure when all they did was they insulated a few people from it and they're still privileged by it. Mm -hmm. So the, the, just the idea that if I'm in this, if I've been insulated by white supremacy, okay, that I've made it, and that my children are going to be safe. It, that's just not going to happen. That's that's not yeah. exceptional. That's not the way that it works, okay. Because if that were the case, then enslaved blacks, their 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 white master parent would have let them go. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But it did it. It did, you know, white slave masters having children with their black slaves did not in any way affect slavery except give them more slaves because they kept their children as slaves. Mm -hmm. So that's the way that this structure works. Whiteness will insulate a select few people from marginalized groups and from minority groups. And unfortunately, those people that are insulated then become deluded into thinking that, yeah, no, there's really no racism. Yeah, no, there's really nothing to fight. And they become so invested in white supremacy because it keeps them safe that they will lash out against Marginal, marginalized people of color against blacks. So, yeah, they was a lump in pro. You know, they the rabble. The you know, like you had that like where, yeah, the darkies like blaming them. There's a lot of the blaming for like those elected few, um, and they'll say themselves as having any traits that make them superior. Yeah. And then the other people. So I've seen you know even in Muslim spaces cultural arguments of saying that they're like it's easier for them to blame black culture than to understand the systems. And I'm like how in the world could you just blame culture and you cannot look at the ways generation after generation of economic disempowerment of communities but you could blame black culture for all of the harms no and so it's that's that's what i'm i'm challenged and the challenge within muslim spaces is to make sure that black muslims first of all do not internalize anti-blackness and then assume because they have taken their shahada that now they're somehow exceptional negroes it can now justify (laughs) the oppression of our people as a collective and then they're still working on that like a you know i've heard some people say like we're not black we're out of because they say nam and you know like i mean these are kind of like or you can yell at me in the left (laughs) or black Muslims who take their shahada or are born and raised here because we're like into our fifth generation of African-American Muslims and they go across and they internalize the anti-blackness in Islamic institutions overseas and then they bring it back and they use it to browbeat black Muslims or black Muslim academics who reach a certain level in academia are insulated by pseudo whiteness in academia who and then they turn around and they try to treat black Muslims who are fighting against the oppression of our people as like you say as the rabble and everything like that because they've been insulated because they've gotten the money they may be married to someone that is not black and so they've got blinders now and so now you know they they take on this elitist approach well this is a rabble because they're so vested in it because they need that that's their bread and butter so now they need to hold on to that and so it's easier because I'm a part of academia. I know how racist it is. Mm-hmm. It's easier to get mad at the people who are being subjugated to all of this oppression and everything like that than to turn around to the people that are doing it because they're the ones that are feeding you. Well, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll throw this out. My, my, my last thoughts here is that as Muslims, um, you study scriptural language. Uh, and you, you'll see that, um, that we're invited to look at the creation. Mm-hmm. And that's because, and I was like ready to jump up when you start talking about the uh, systemic um, 
uh, issues, how things replicate themselves, they repeat themselves. And that's the whole thing about systems. Systems repeat, they allow for uh, continued existence. Uh, there's a cycle that's there. So that's where we have to, you know, we have to look at what the, 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 the thing that we are fighting against is not an individual occurrence. Mm -hmm. It's a system. And what is really giving life to that, one of the things that uh, Imam Muhammad um, mentioned, you know, may God give him a paradise. He said, false worship. Mm -hmm. Right. Matter of fact, no. Uh, this is the Quran, right? So he, he was speaking right from the Quran, right? Um, that that is the, one of the, the worst form of oppression. It's false worship, you know, shirk. And because white supremacy, it is rooted in this belief in a white god. That is one of the things that we have to, right? If that's not addressed, then white supremacy in and of itself, it's going to be very difficult to topple it without addressing that. So for a multicultural, a pluralistic society mm -hmm. that's really going to thrive and, and replicate health, we've got to get rid of exceptionalism, right? We, they, you can't have one tree that, you know, it, it doesn't work off photosynthesis, right? Everything, we, it, it's all connected. Uh, it's, it's systemic. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the work uh, that you're doing with Muslim Mark, that it is attacking the system and is bringing people in uh, you know to, to, to bring us something better not to replicate not to change supremacy from from white to black but to give us some parity to give us some equity so alhamdulillah that's a uh, great work you're doing I could talk thank to y'all all day it's a great conversation thank you so alhamdulillah so tell folks um, where they can find you well they already know because you got that blue badge <laughs> you can find Marguerite Aziza on Twitter at Marguerite. So it's like Margarita without the T A. Marguerite underscore Aziza A Z I Z A. Um, you can follow Muslim Arc Muslim A R C. Um, we also have online classes. We create online spaces. So wherever you are. Um, in North America, whatever your time zones, you can connect with us. We are building a community. We're building better models where we really see, we really hear, we really listen to each other and connect in deeper ways without all that social domination. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's yes. amazing. Yes. It's beautiful. And Layla Abdullah Pulos. Oh, where to find me? Well, first of all, visit uh, patheos.com slash blog slash NBA Muslims. Yes. Okay, we have a lot of great things going on there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Layla underscore Pulos. And uh, check out my interview of Marguerite on the Muslim Atlantic, in the Muslim yeah. Atlantic, about the danger of the single story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Give it, well, I'm going to grab the link. We'll put that up on, yeah. our, on our Facebook page as well. Well, it has been a pleasure uh, being able to talk to you all both face to face. Um, please don't say anything else bad about our pizza. Um, just, just get you some. It's character building, okay? <laughs> yeah, I was chewing, so. <laughs> so we'll definitely keep you, keep you both in our door. I love Thank Chicago. You. Don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful city. We're about to yes. go walking around. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, Raider Sound family, we thank you all for joining us for another discussion. I'm your host and producer, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. With that, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.